definitely a big one. I think that was the largest thing on the agenda today, and I guess we'll jump right into it. We have an interesting podcast in store. got a couple of great, knowledgeable guests on that will provide us with some interesting perspectives. But today in Thomaston, the GHSA Executive Committee had a spring meeting, and they indeed um, actually chose to table the 50% sit-out proposal, almost unanimously, by a vote of 62 to 2. The motion was passed to table this requirement. And so first of all, let's talk a little bit about what tabling means. It means that the vote will be will not be voted on. It will be pushed back to some later time. They'll send the rule back to committee to be revised on. And one of the big reasons why it was tabled, I think, was because if it's voted on and the vote does not pass, you cannot bring up this same proposal for three years. Yeah, that's uh, that would be a, a big thing, three, three meetings and all that. So let's jump right into the nitty-gritty of what the rule as proposed said. It's called the 50% sit-out rule. It was going to be an amendment to a paragraph O of the Constitution. And so basically it creates, first of all, a dichotomy. Whereas if a bona fide move has not taken place, that student would be considered a migrant student. And should the that hardship appeals process would still go on in the normal fashion, but should the hardship appeal be denied or no appeal be made and the migrant student status remain, that student would be ineligible for one full calendar year. Now, if it is a bona fide move, which is really what this 50% sit-out rule speaks to, the sending school, which would be the school that the student is leaving from, would have the option of either forcing a 50% uh, sit-out rule penalty, and that is going to be half of the games in each sport played would have to be sat out um, throughout the first season that that student moves. Or the sending school has the ability to waive the 50% sit-out rule, and that student could continue if it's a bona fide move. What do you think about the generals of that uh, rule, Kyle? Well, I think, 
I think it's very interesting in that this rule, in my opinion, would clearly at least clamp down on a lot of the movements. Sometimes we even see players moving somewhere for a year and then moving back. So if you have to sit out for half of that year, you are definitely going to think twice about that. And one thing I find really interesting about the structure is that the sending school that is going to apply, or I'm sorry, reject or kind of apply that 50% penalty based on the receipt of a Form B waiver has a lot of power. They have a lot of subjective discretion as to whether they want to force that penalty or not. And of course, there is a three levels appeals process should the sending school try to enforce the penalty. First, it's a hearing officer, then it's the appeals board, then it's the full executive committee. But notwithstanding, one thing I find interesting is there is a lot of subjectivity between the schools in which one school may you know, categorically let students transfer out and not apply that penalty, you know, unless something's really egregious, whereas another school may categorically push that penalty on everyone and force everyone to go through the appeals process. And one thing I find interesting about the language of the rule is it does not really have any guidelines for a school. It just says a school may or may not 
Um, the I'll read you a quote from on a point four of this paragraph. O. Oh, it says. This will allow the sending school an opportunity to provide additional information needed if the receiving school appeals the decision. Example, undue influence, community members influence, personal trainers, or the transfer was athletic in nature. So the only examples the sending school is really given is going to be in parentheses. And so they have a lot of discretion, a lot of leeway as to how they want to apply that rule. And it could differ from place to place. I could see an opening where there could be some sort of conspiracies or some sort of working together where, you know, if me and you are two ADs were competing, you know, it could be a sort of, I'm going to scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'm going to let this kid transfer out without penalty if you let this other kid transfer in without penalty. And so I think the GHSA must do a better job of setting some sort of guideline or, or c creating a consistent basis for these local schools to base their decision off. If that's going to be at a local school or at a county level, like we're going to talk to some 80s later about, I think that could create the potential for a lot of distraction. The only place in the language of the rule that really has anything as to consistency or whether one should be appealed or denied is in the appeals process. And one could say, well, you know, you could extrapolate that over, but I think that's still a bit broad. Yeah, with the undue influence and all that, cover two more points before we get to our uh, expert interviews. First of all, to go right along with what you said, 
it's, again, the language of the law, in my opinion, is kind of vague as to what the feeling of the GHSA is going to be. Are they going to tend to allow students to move unless, you know, there's something egregious or something that's, you know, ostensibly obvious to everyone that this is athletic in nature? Or are they going to be really, really tight and restrictive and only really loosen the reins when something's clearly proven. And to that, I'm going to read another portion of uh, point five, talking about the appeals process of the law as it was in the GHSA minutes today. It says, quote, the receiving school will have the burden of proof to establish that the transfer was not motivated by athletic considerations, end quote. And so to me, this really places the burden of proof on the transferring player and on the receiving school to prove that it is not for athletic reasons. So to me, what this means is if I'm trying to make an appeal, I have to convince that appeals officer that this was definitely not for athletic reasons and leave him no doubt in his mind that this was for some other reasons. And in my opinion, that's a very high bar to set. It's a very high precedent or standard to try to achieve as one can, you know, if you're playing a sport and you're moving from some place you know, where from some place where you didn't play a lot to another place that's better or to another place that's you're going to get more playing time, one can always make the argument that you are also gaining something basketball-wise. And so therefore, should students not be allowed to transfer into somewhere that's going to be a better basketball environment for them, period? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this is applied initially. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is just so subjective. It's not any black and white. Like I said, there's so many great areas. But I mean, the one good thing you can say is the stuff's table. We don't have to really worry about it right now. It's something you could put under your, your cushion pillow at home on your bed and store it away for another time. You don't have to think about it for a while. But uh, the transfer situation, it's, it's going to pop back up. And, uh, everybody involved says something's going to happen eventually. They just got to reword it and word it correctly so they don't hurt the innocent players involved. And uh, that's that's the main thing, the main goal for the GHSA. Uh, if you're going to clamp down on transfers, you got to make sure you're doing it the right way and you're not hurting innocent people. A couple of points of interest just to show how unanimous that uh, tabling of it was. The vote on the motion to table this proposal was 62 to 2. So pretty much everyone in attendance who was voting decided to table it. To briefly touch on what you just said, Kyle, about the subjectiveness, if you really look at the ruling and the letter, the standards set, they don't fundamentally seem that different. But maybe the radicalness of this new rule will kind of shift the mindset of coaches and ADs around the state, whereas before it was, you know, Transfers, you know, we can slip them in. Bonafide moods are easy. Now it's going to change to transfers are hard. And it, even though the wording isn't that different, the standards, some of the phrases even are the exact same. Just the process of passing this new rule and having so much, you know, um, humming about it and so much buzz about it will create a, a shift in mindset, a paradigm shift. And so briefly, that second thing, a, a hypothetical thought question I have for you. Kyle, one of the concerns with the passage of this rule would have been the GHSA could not get it into place and could not fully execute it to their standards before the July 1st or August 1st start time. And so if this were to be passed, you know, today or next year, let's say today, and the implementation date would be August 1st, do you think that summer will be a wild, wild west for everyone scrambling to get in their transfers before the new rule takes effect? Uh, I think so. I was talking to a 
the coach about a week ago, and they were saying the same thing. If that happens, if it wasn't immediately, which would be tough to enforce and say immediately, but if you say, okay, in two weeks we're going to put boy, oh boy, people are going to be moving left and right to try and get out of it. Uh, you, you would like to think it's not like that, but let's be honest. Uh, for kids that are doing it for solely athletic and basketball reasons, you're, you're dog on the right to try and get over there. They feel like they're not in a good situation for whatever reason that is. And then I like the coach or they just want to play on a more national schedule and play to a powerhouse school like that. They're definitely going to move quickly. And we could see one last big boom of a wild, wild west effect like you mentioned. And now we'll jump to the first person we were able to talk to right after this rule was discussed in committee. You were able to talk to Henry County Athletic Director Kurt Miller today. Yeah, Kurt Miller, uh, he's part of that GHSA Executive Committee Board and all that. So he was, uh, he was a, a good, good uh, mind to pick, very interesting stuff. Uh, someone that, much like myself, is one of those old school guys that grew up playing against Matt Harpring over at Marist. So you'll get to hear his uh, stories about that, which is the homegrown effect and seeing it all come and grow into something special your senior year, something that you don't really see too much uh, nowadays. But Kurt Miller, a uh, very interesting conversation with him, and uh, it's a good listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Joining me today on this special podcast of Spielin' and Dealin' with the GHSA executive meeting taking place today on May 16th. With me today, I have Kurt Miller. And Mr. Miller, how about you just go ahead and introduce yourself and let the listeners know uh, where you all fit in in this whole GHSA and what what your dog in the race is. Right, so uh, Kyle, I appreciate you having me uh, and calling and want me to be a part of your podcast. Uh, so I am the county athletics coordinator for Henry County Schools. Uh, I was a former basketball coach for a while, and I am the uh, Region 45A representative for the uh, for our region on the GHSA executive committee. And and were you a part of the the voting process to uh, determine whether this rule would go into place or not, or how how do you fit in here? Yeah, so there's uh, 66 members, and so. We're all present in Thomaston today, and uh, when it came up to vote, there were there were still a lot of questions, uh, you know, as far as implementation, how the, how it's going to work with the state office, and so uh, you know, if if it would have gone up for a vote and been and then been voted down, we would have had to have waited three meetings to uh, to bring it back up, and so to table it, um, you know, I want to I want to uh, thank Dr. Stephen Kraft. Fulton County, the AD for Fulton County, he's put a lot of time and effort into this, and uh, we didn't want to see it die. I do think something needs to needs to happen with the, the transfer issue that we have, but I think to save it and to uh, maybe take it back, go back to the town board, and uh, you know answer some of the questions, and uh, you know and come up a few things, and, and I think it'll come back, and I, I think something will end up happening. Um, but uh, he's done a lot of work, and and uh, so basically, yeah. It, it, uh, had some people, you know, ask some questions, and um, the state office, you know, had some concerns too with it being approved here on May 16th and then being implemented on August 1st. So, uh, you know, I, 
after hearing everybody think it needs to be tabled, I raised my hand and made a motion for it to be tabled um, for a later date. So that's kind of what happened today. And you personally, how do you feel about the outcome? Are you kind of happy it was tabled just so you guys can fine pick it some more and fine tune and get a better idea about it? Right. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, um, you know, it, being on this executive committee, I, yes, I represent our region and our nine schools and Henry County schools, but at the same time, we're there to represent the entire state of Georgia. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of people with a lot of questions still. So I think, uh, with, with, with the people having so many questions that they did, I think it was right to table it today and uh, go back to the drawing board. Um, do I think something needs to happen? Absolutely. Um, I, I definitely think the transfer situation is out of control, but uh, I think this will give us time to get more feedback from coaches, um, more ADs, principals, superintendents, and uh, and go back to the board and use what, use what Dr. Kraft's already put together and see if we can fine-tune a few things. And is there anything specifically that you think that maybe wasn't on the uh, the agenda that we spoke on with the the proposal that uh, is a, a common thing that could be easily fine-tuned, or is it really going to take a while to talk to a lot of ADs and coaches and try and come up with something that pleases all parties? Right. So I think that uh, I think the biggest part is we, we elected a new executive director today. So I think the largest part of this is going to be making sure that the state office is ready to have this implemented and how they're going to attack it. You know, how are they going to deal with the hearings, uh, with all the different meetings? So I, I think that's probably the biggest part. Um, you know, there, there's another part of it about the sending school, you know, checking off, you know, they were recruited or whatever. I think some questions need to be answered there. Um, but, um, but I think in, in, as a whole, I think it's a good, it's a really good uh, proposal. Um, it's just going to be with some, you know, just a few fine-tuning things, uh, and, and especially seeing where the, the new executive director is going to stand on all this. And me, myself, I'm kind of more of an old-school guy, which I, I wish we didn't have the transfer situation, how rampant it's been. Uh, it would be a lot nicer to see the kids that are in school district that have grown up the entire their entire life and know these their teammates and work their way through all the way to a state championship. So, you know, kind of like what Ups and Lee did this year. A lot of those guys have been in that school district the entire time. Um, you personally, is that something that you you kind of miss from maybe thirty years ago? Even though we know transferring's been going on for a long time, is that something that the the, the wholesomeness of the game? Because that's me personally, on my viewpoint, I feel like. This is amateurism, amateur basketball. I feel like with the transfers and everything, there's just blurred lines of college play and high school basketball and even the pros, how if you just don't like your one scenario, I'm just going to transfer and I'm going to go somewhere else where I could play. It, it, how do you feel about that? Right, so those of those the, the listeners that, that know me, you know, my dad's been in it for 44 years. He's in the, in the GACA Hall of Fame and the GADA Hall of Fame. So I've been around this. I, I, I agree with you. I'm old school. I, I wish the kids would all stay at their, at their, uh, you know, their original school and and take pride, take you know, take pride in winning championships and winning games and playing for their home high school. Um, I I think what that, what Upson Lee did this year was awesome. Um, you know, we had a well, our team, Henry County High School. They uh, they beat Henry in the Final Four. Um, and Henry's one of those schools. So um, I think it 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 means a lot more. When when schools like Upson League do win it, um, 
But at the same time, you know, Atlanta is very transient. So, you know, I get it that, that there are people that move and, and, and do all that. And and uh, so it's just a it's just a situation that many states aren't in. I mean, Atlanta's in a, in a very we're very unique, and uh, that's that's another reason this policy needs to we need to make sure we cover all our bases without backing ourselves in the corner and, and having unintended consequences. That that's one of the big things I keep referring to myself is you know are we going to have unintended consequences about this and punish kids and parents who actually are doing something that's legit and they just get caught up in a rule and now we got a problem. And so that, that's one of the reasons um, you know, that, that, that tabling it is probably a good thing. But, yes, I, I really wish we could go back to the days of, um, you know, everybody's play for their high school. And, I mean, when I was in, that, when I was in high school in 96, playing for Henry County, you know, only two teams went to, went to state. And we had mayors with Matt Harpering and, Creekside, and they were all loaded in Banneker. I mean, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a chance to get out, but, you know, it never crossed anybody's mind to go transfer to go to another school. Um, so, and, and my final question is, do you see a change to the transfer rule as inevitable? It's definitely going to happen if it's not today, if it's not in a couple weeks, if a couple months, do you see a change forthcoming in the near future? Yeah. Probably something happening for the 18-19 school year. Um, what that's going to be, I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but I, I do. I, I think that we'll have a full school year to meet, to talk, and let the transfer committee and the new executive director um, and some of the new board of trustee members be involved in all that. And, uh, yes, I do think it'll it'll look – I think we'll have something in place for the 18-19 year. But there will be a lot of meetings a lot of feedback taken into consideration between now Mr. Miller, I just want to thank you on joining the podcast today. It was a, a very a big day for the state of Georgia, even though it was tabled. You know, the wheels are turning and going in the right direction to ch- try and cut back on the wild, wild west known as the transfer circuit. So, Coach Miller, I appreciate it, sir, and hopefully we can stay in touch and hopefully the GHSA, we can get this get this ball moving and get this sport not necessarily cleaned up, but uh, the problem a little more in hand and a little more manageable. Right. Well, I appreciate you uh, letting me be a part of it and also appreciate all the work you're doing for Georgia basketball. It's been, uh, it's been kind of refreshing to see somebody dedicate their, their, all their attention to, uh, to hoops. So that's, that's good stuff. Thank you, sir. Along the same lines, I was able to catch up today with Fulton County Athletic Director Stephen Kraft. He is also a member of the GHSA Executive Committee. And while I misspoke early in that interview and he was not at the meeting today, he was very privy. He was very passionate about a certain side, which will become evident uh, as the interview goes on. And he said a lot of the things that Kurt said. But take a listen to another perspective from a county AD. With me right now, I have Dr. Stephen Kraft, the Fulton County Athletic Director and a GHSA Executive Committee member. Dr. Kraft, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself? I'm doing well also. Thank you. So let's start off with, I guess, the biggest news of the day. You were in Thomaston at the Executive Committee uh, meeting, and the 50% transfer rule was voted on, and it was tabled almost unanimously. Can you give us a little bit of insight as to how the uh, discussion and the voting went down? Well, I, I think the reality of it is that there were there was just a lot of people still had a lot of questions surrounding it. And if it was not tabled, then it could not be brought back up for three years. And so the, the reality of this is we wanted to table it so we could be able to discuss it in more, in more detail, kind of revisit it, 
instead of having to wait three years to try to bring something like that back. And, and just just so you know, I was not present for the conversation today. I actually had to have uh, do a family trip um, with my wife, so I was not there. But I was privy to all the discussion that went on and very familiar with everything that was said and discussed. Okay, so heading into the vote, did you expect the uh, transfer rule to get voted on as a yes or no? Did you expect it kind of to get tabled today? I, I expected it to at least be voted on, and um, I'm very disappointed it's not. Um, a lot of work went into it, a lot of conversations, and a lot of discussion, um, because I think the majority of people realize that this is the biggest issue that we have in athletics in the state of Georgia right now. The, the volume and the amount of transfers were just out of control, and it was very disappointing that it was tabled, but I'm happy that it was tabled and that, you know, versus being voted no, because it gives us a chance to try to continue to do something to try to improve athletics in the state. I know that there is no official timetable for this amendment to be brought back up for a vote, but what comes next in terms of this transfer rule? I think the, I, the committee will meet again and we'll continue to get more input, have more discussion, try to try to take everybody's feedback and put back in there, and then hopefully try to uh, maybe bring it back up. You know, I don't right now we don't have a scheduled meeting for the fall, so I think it would be early early spring um, when we bring it back up. And what do you think needs to happen before it can be brought back to an executive committee? full vote and get uh, enough votes to pass? I think people just need to accept the fact that this is a major problem. You know, the fact that state championships are being determined by the number of transfers, you know, we're, we're losing we're losing what it means to win a state championship. And, you know, it, you're not supposed to be able to contend every single year. It's supposed to be a great combination of kids that come together and it'd be seniors, juniors, sophomores, the occasional freshmen. And, you know, the reality of this is, you know, I think people are going to really see how big of an issue this is because, you know, everybody saw the volume of transfers this past year and nothing was done about it. So I think there's going to be even more transfers done here. And I, I think people are just going to have to accept that something radical has to be done. You know, and, and I use the term radical and not really that radical. There's a lot of other states that have done rules that are very similar to this. But, you know, we need to do something to deter the volume of transfers right now. Right. And so just to get into a bit of the nitty gritty of the rule, as written right now, it would state that the sending school or after receiving school receives a student, a sending school, they would have to send a form B to the sending school, which would then have the ability to either opt in or opt out of that 50% uh, sit-out rule for each season. So do you think that amount of power that the sending school has is a strength or a weakness of the rule? I, I think it's actually a strength because I think the, the former school will have a good idea if this rule, was if the transfer was linked to athletics or if it was another reason. And, you know, the reality of it is, you know, you have that insight, and you got the you got the ability to kind of weigh in on it. So, if you know it's a legitimate transfer that has nothing to do with athletics, then you waive the fifty percent, and life goes on for that kid. 
But, you know, if you know this was tied to AAU coach or, a, you know, a seven-on-seven seven or anything like that, and then you can show that evidence, then, you know, we're doing something to protect our sports. Because right now, it's, you know, people want to talk about kids, you know, or schools recruiting kids, but it's kids recruiting other kids, and they're coming together and they're chasing rings, and that's destroying the fabric of high school athletics, in my opinion. And to be clear, the rule would still maintain the migrant student status and the hardship appeal status, and it would also create a separate appeals channel. But one thing I found interesting in the wording was that specifically the receiving school would have to prove that it was not for an athletic reason. So it seems like the burden is being shifted on the student and the receiving school to prove that they would be eligible. That, that's exactly right, because, I mean, People can, you know, the, the bigger problem we have is not when people are going from, say, Warner Robins to Johns Creek or East Cobb to Valdosta. You know, those are legitimate moves. Our issues are when kids are transferring from schools three miles apart that offer the exact same academic requirements, the same classes, the same options. And all they're doing is trying to create a better athletic situation for themselves and you know if you're that school that's always losing those kids you're never going to rebuild your program because every year as soon as somebody gets good or has some success they transfer and so you know I think that that is why we've got to have it I think the receiving school should have some some power in this but I think it should be the responsibility of the receiving school to show that this was not athletic in nature, or if it was, accept the 50% penalty and move on. Some opponents of this rule thought that the GHSA would be better served in enforcing the rules it already has. For example, there was some talk about hiring private investigators and using those private investigators to actually verify that a bona fide move has happened. What would you say to those people? I, I would say that that's not our issue. And, and, and I've argued that from day one. The problem is our bona fide move rules are so easy to comply with. That's why we're having all these transfers. You know, people want to say, well, 97% of the transfers are, are legitimate. And they are because it's very easy to do a bona fide move. You look at the rules. Here's what you have to do. You do one, two, and three, and you're good. And, and that's the problem. You know, the reality of this, an investigator, what, what are they going to do? They're going to do the same things that a bona fide move has occurred. So I, I think hiring the investigator does absolutely nothing. Um, I don't think it will fix any of the issues. I think it could, you know, occasionally catch somebody that's legitimately trying to cheat or recruit or do something like that. But that's not fixing our systematic issue. You know, we had six, a little, little bit over 6,000 transfers in the state of Georgia last year. And, and that's a problem. And, you know, people want to just say it's a metro issue. It's not a metro issue. It's happening in Valdosta. It's happening in Savannah. But it affects everybody in the state because if kids are coming together to, you know, basically to stack their teams, well, they're going to come up against those other schools at some point. And now those kids are at a disadvantage because they're playing with the kids that they should be playing with and they're having to compete against all-star teams. And I, I think that's the issue that we have. Right. And so finally, one last question for you, Dr. Kraft. 
Do you have, if this rule be passed as it currently stands, do you have any indication as to how this school would be received at the local level in terms of if schools would, you know, waive the 50% rule or do you think there should be some sort of guidance, even from you, for example, what would you tell your ADs about how to enforce this rule? I would tell my ADs that if you know that this was a legitimate move and you know the circumstances, we're going to waive the 50%. But if you know this is a kid that wanted to go play with this guy because he's a better quarterback or I can go be the starting point guard when I'm a backup over here, then, you know, that's where, that's what we have to stop. And so I would just tell them, you know, what we will be is we'll be consistent. You have to apply consistently. But, you know, th there is some, some, you know, objectivity with it, but that's why we set up the appeals process with it. So, you know, I, I can tell you as you know, the AD of a district with 16 high schools, you know, all my ADs were 100% in support of doing this because we're all tired of having to do in-home visits. We're tired of these kids transferring in, these kids transferring out. Because you don't have continuity. And, and the other thing that people don't understand and don't really want to talk about that much is, you know, if your program that receives four or five kids, that can destroy your program. Because those are kids that are taking other people's spots that have been there since they were, you know, six years old. And this was their chance to play. And now they're being replaced. And so what that creates is bitterness. It creates issues with school climate, the culture, the booster clubs, all of those different things. And it erodes the team. And, and that, that's the problem. That's what we have to try to fix. Right. One word I really like what you said there was consistency. And I think one of the potential issues is consistency even not between schools but between districts. Do you think this could open up the potential for a bit of gamesmanship? Where, you know, you could let one guy go, you know, if I let your guy come in, you let my guy come in, or something like that. I think that that's where that becomes an issue that the GHSA state office addresses. And, you know, that's their job is to make sure that this rule is being applied appropriately and people are doing the right things with it. And I think, I think people will find out and issues like that would be dealt with. But I think the majority of the case, you know, people, you know, will do what is right in 95% of the circumstances. And, you know, I, I truly believe that, you know, if, if that's not the case, then, you know, you tweak it and you adjust it. And if there needed to be more guidance, if there needed to be more specifics, then we've got the ability to adjust it and put that into the room. Very good insight, Dr. Kraft. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. All right. Thank you very much. You have a great day. And so, Kyle, I want to touch on a few things that Steven said. Um, first of all, he said that what these transfers are doing are – it's really devaluate, devaluing a uh, what it means to win a state championship. As teams are eternally good, they're getting all these transfers. And so it really smashes the parity of high school competition. One of the phrases he used was teams should not be powerhouses every year. They should ebb and flow. Some teams should be good a year and then go down as their talent rises and falls. Do you agree with that? I'm sure it used to be in the old days. Uh, parity is what makes basketball so exciting. That's what made class four so interesting to watch unfold this year. Upsley and St. Pius, very interesting matchup. Those are definitely two schools that you don't play are playing in the state championship every single year. So that was so fun to see a lot of, you know, those, those 
for a state championship like that. And I agree with him on that. You, you probably shouldn't stay the same. I mean, coaching's great. You can be a great coach and everything. But really, are you really going to have six, eight, six, nine kids walk through those doors every single year? Uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's not going to change. But it, it would definitely be nice when you think of a school that graduates you know, four Division One players or something like that. You would assume, okay, now it's time for other teams in that region. It's finally their turn to try and rise to the, rise to the top. But if that team reloads, oh, we got three more six, seven kids moving in. It's just a vicious cycle that the, the people that aren't going out and grabbing those kids, they never really have a chance to do it. And when you see schools having kids announce on YouTube, I am going to further my talents at so-and-so high school, uh, that's not an academic decision. That is all athletic. And that one player, uh, he never even played this season. He returned back home to Michigan for the season started. But that, that is the ultimate red flag. You can't go on the YouTube saying, I'm taking my talents to so-and-so high school. That is, uh, that's what high school basketball is all, all what it should not be about, just and another thing that Dr. Kraft mentioned, he said that this is not just a Metro Atlanta problem. That is tr- uh, illicit transfers. He said that happens all over the state. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. You cover a lot of basketball. You have your transfer carousel from, and you know, you do a great job of covering everyone from North Georgia all the way down to South Georgia. Do you think this is more prevalent in the Metro area or do you think this is really a all of Georgia type problem? Well, that's where the most media is. All the attention is going to gravitate towards Atlanta because that's where all the top talent is coming out of. And yes, it's very prevalent there. It's keeping up with the Joneses. If someone gets transferred here, you've got to add two more to keep up with them. You look at, what was it, Region 2 this past year, I believe, with Wheeler and Pebblebrook and all those schools. I mean, that was an arms race. That was a legitimate arms race. You still bring in like four players. That's, that's what it was. It was an arms race. And you saw what happened with them. None of those teams even made the final four this year. So you can win state championships without transfers. It can be done. It's not easy. You're going to have to coach the kids. You're going to have some lucky breaks. You're going to have to play really hard. You're going to have to have some pretty good players that know their role. But it can be done. So uh, it's just that that whole thing. Uh, there are transfers, East Georgia, West Georgia, South Georgia. It is all over the place. Um, of course, in some areas, if you're up in the mountains and stuff, you're probably not going to hear as much about what's going on. But you can, you can look out east, and there's some schools, and out west, and all over the place. You see these programs that are always playing for a Final Four and stuff. You might not hear about it much in the metro Atlanta area, but if you hang around programs and listen to someone that's in the area over there, they'll say, oh, yeah, this is the way always been top-tier players from this high school here and this high school there. But it, in their defense, I mean, if you are on the outskirts of Metro Atlanta and you do build a, a successful, great program, it's always making it to the Final Four every year. And there's schools that are in, you know, these small schools that you never really heard of. If they can transfer to a school that's 30 minutes away and be guaranteed a shot at a, a state title or a, a great run, and you can get that recognition that all these other small schools don't really get blame them that much for wanting to go there. And, uh, I understand it's tough and all that, but there are some powerhouse programs when you're on the outskirts. They're going to be a magnet and they're going to suck up 
And finally, Kyle, you were able to catch up with a third person who was able to give us a coach's perspective on the whole issue. podcast today is Jeffrey Pierce, head coach of Grayson High School, and today was a very big day with the GHSA and the meetings, and uh, the 50% transfer rule just was tabled. Uh, How do you feel about that? Do you think that's a positive thing, or are you kind of disappointed that the uh, 50% rule has not gone through yet, coach? coaching in class 7a which is i mean those are the big dogs of the big dogs and whether you're i mean a couple schools i mean a lot of schools and all classifications i mean they they do get transfers but when people talk about the transfer rule a lot of people turn their eyes to class 7a and a, a couple programs that are known for getting four five six seven guys in every single year as a coach from a program that isn't known for getting, you know, three blue chip players coming in every single year, is that something that's kind of difficult to, to coach against? Or is it sometimes discouraging when you look every other week and say, geez, they just got a six nine guy going to Duke moving in or so on and so forth? Is that something discouraging or is that something that's just part of the landscape? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's discouraging. It's, it's more so like, I mean, it doesn't make the job any easier, but you know, I mean, even though we don't, we don't typically receive that type of talent movement. I mean, no, no coach is going to turn it down. It's just if you got a blue chipper moving into your district, you're not going to be like, oh, well, we don't do transfers here and all that. Like any coach would, would take it, like you said, like in seven eight, 
especially you'd be hard pressed to find um, a lot of programs that have sustained success without the benefits of having um, kids move into their district. So, but I, I, it's not really discouraging. I mean, it, but it definitely makes the job hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just from even looking at the football side of things, you're coaching at Grayson, and then Grayson football was kind of like the one that really started this whole movement and the ball rolling, and that's where, you know, you get the I-team investigators coming out of the woodworks and pretending they care about high school athletics again, and they're trying to they're trying to drop the hammer and everything. How has that been kind of just, you know, being there but not necessarily being on the football side of things, but just seeing how crazy it's got a national attention and all that, bringing all the eyes to Grayson High School? Um, I just think it's a product of the new digital age with you know, social media and the internet and things of that nature because, you know, I've, um, I moved out. I moved out to Gwinnett. My stock kids were not just in Gwinnett, but everywhere kids were transferring in. I remember, uh, I remember I'm showing my age kind of, but this is like 99, I think. Um, I started playing at Central, you know, everybody had, had, stories about this kid named Tony Akins that, you know, grew up in the Central Cluster and then he transferred over to Bergmar with um, Coach Boyd. So, I mean, it's, it's been going in and then multiple sports, too. Like, I remember um, when I first started coaching at Meadow Creek, Bergmar got a, got a running back from Meadow Creek. I think his name was Cameron, if I'm not mistaken. You know, he led him in wrestling. They won, a, they won a state title and all that. So, this isn't anything to do. It's just more more eyes and more lights are shining towards it due to the... Um, you know, the digital age, something. Well, Coach, I appreciate this impromptu stop by. Uh, just just something good to put out there. I know there's a lot of coaches and players and parents even concerned about the, the potential that that 50% transfer rule, if it came into place, but it did get tabled. And, Coach Pierce, I, I want to thank you for joining the podcast, and I appreciate you coming on and giving your expert opinion on the situation in the state of Georgia. Kyle, it looks like that will be it for the most recent edition of Spielin' and Deal in the Georgia High School Basketball Podcast. And as you mentioned in the opening, this issue uh, is being laid to rest temporarily. I'm sure we'll be piping back up about it as the GHSA starts its uh, spring meeting next year. And they, uh, I guess, revamp this issue and it comes to the forefront again. Kyle, it's been a pleasure as always. For me, yes, sir. Listeners, we appreciate it. I know it's slim and trim with these three dog nights, summer days, and everything. But uh, we're going to keep trying to crank out as much basketball. And any good news that comes down, GHSA Pipeline, we will have it to you first.